and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Lavender. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley reporting the future for Friday's climate strike. Then Bria Barthel brings up-to-date information on Capital Region Clean Energy Hub. Later on, continuing our election watch, Elizabeth E.P. Press speaks to Troy Council candidate for District 5, Tiffany Silverman, on the Democratic and Working Families. After that, Part two of our Herman Melville house tour and discussion of historic Lansingburg. Finally, we reach into the archives for an interview with Sean Collins on the history of labor in the capital region. But first, here are the headlines. A new audit by the state controller and the Office of Addiction Services and Supports should increase its oversight of hundreds of of addiction treatment programs. This is especially true during emergencies such as the recent COVID COVID plague and the need for better tracking patients and programs. Applications for the Home Energy Assistance Program, or HEAP, are now available through County Departments of Social Services. HEAP can provide up to $976 this winter to help low- and middle-income households and older adults keep their homes warm and cope with high energy costs. Seniors can also contact the Office for the Aging. Generon, a major biotech company with facilities in Rensselaer County, could soon create dozens of additional local jobs. Regeneron has proposed an expansion project at an 18-acre site on Broadway in Menands. The Troy Farmer's Market will move into the Troy Atrium for the winter starting Saturday, November 4th. The Farmer's Market will be held every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. The Farmer's Market will have over 100 vendors. And that's it for headlines. And for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. So on Friday, November 3rd, the Capital District Chapter of Fridays for Future agreed to focus their weekly climate strike on the Global Power Up campaign being organized by the 350.org organization to speed up the transition of 100% renewable energy. They were joined by PAWS, the 350 affiliate in the Capital District. On Friday, November 3rd, the Capital District Chapter of Fridays for Future agreed to focus their weekly climate strike on the global power-up campaign being organized by 350.org to fully fund renewable energy. Uh, They were joined by PAWS, People of Albany United for Safe Energy, the 350 affiliate in the Capital Districts. Fridays for Future is the international student climate strike launched by Swedish teenager Greta Thornburg, who held a sign out of Parliament every Friday. A local chapter was recently launched in the Capital District. 
In launching the Power Up campaign, 350.org noted that across the globe, people are resisting the expansion of fossil fuels, and the calls to phase them out are growing louder and louder. Uh, wind and solar are producing a record amount of clean energy year after year. We are moving forward into the world we want to see. We have the technology to do it. It's still a challenge to have the political will. 350 says that they are inspired by communities using solutions to the climate crisis as tools of resistance in the fight against the fossil fuel industry, focusing on equitable, accessible, clean, and energy efficient uh, sources. We need to transform the systems that have propped up fossil fuel giants and transfer power and resources to those who have been marginalized and suppressed those who are least responsible for the climate crisis and who are often the most heavily impacted. We hear from a number of activists, including Matt Oilo of Extinction Rebellion, Pete Looker, uh, Ryan from Fridays for the Future, Diana Wright from, from Paws, local composting group, and Zan Plymill also with Fridays for the Future. So we're at Veterans Park in uh, Schenectady, and one of the longtime climate activists we, we see out here with this climate emergency side, is, is Matt Oil. Matt, what, what, what's the message for today? Uh, I'm out here today to, uh, you know, stand uh, with the earth and with uh, life on earth as uh, the climate emergency enters its most dire state and to take a stand against the capitalist system that has uh, driven us to this point. And, and why every Friday should the people doing a climate strike? I mean, personally, Friday, Thursday, Saturday, um, Whatever day you want to do it, but, you know, it's about the consistency and making sure that we, you know, keep the energy in the uh, in the movement. Next, we catch up with Pete Looker, who's standing with 100% clean renewable energy by 2030. How important is it to get renewable energy? Uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty important. That's why we're out here. Um, we ha we're having a solar spill today, and so things have warmed up a little bit. So uh, it's it's. It's important. Um, I think kids, as a member of the third act, I think uh, we need to leave somewhat of a livable planet for the Fridays for the Future first generation. So, so third act is this uh, senior citizen group that Bill McKibben and others have started. Does that mean you qualify? Uh, it's for mature people over 60. I'm, I'm not qualified as a senior citizen yet. Are you qualified as a mature person? Yes, I'm a mature person. I'm trying to be mature. What are, what are some of the things you would like to see our elected officials take action on? Um, stop taking money from dirty corporations. Um, declare a, a national climate emergency so there can be actions done for that. And uh, uh, stop killing people cause, in wars because it's a very inefficient way to use uh, energy. Thank you, Pete Looker. Uh, my name is Portia Zwicker, and um, I'm not actually associated with any particular organization. Um, I come here as usually mostly as a mother of a young child. And how critical is the uh, climate issue at this point? What needs to happen? Um, I would say it is the most critical issue of our lives and of my daughter's life. Um, there's, I would say, nothing more urgent. Um, I mean, we could focus on more than one thing at a time, but this is the thing I choose to focus on. Um, due to the possible effect it can have on my daughter and other people her age. So um, the faster we can reduce our fossil fuel use, the better. Um, and I think the best things that we can do are the things we can do now, um, as Project Drawdown has discussed in their methodology. Um, 
so I, you know, I'm out here today, you know, technically striking from my job, although don't tell my job. Um, hey, um, I'm out here because we need to be out making a scene. I'm not making much of a scene, but people in the, the public need to know that this is urgent. It needs to be in their face. Thank you very much. So we next talk with Ryan, who's one of the uh, organizers for Fridays for the Future. So, so Ryan, wh why should you know people come out every Friday here at, at Veterans Park and strike for climate? The reason people should be striking for climate every Friday is because it is the job of my generation and the youth to save the planet and stop the destructive actions of the colonial governments and fossil fuel industry. And does this grow out of the movement with uh, Greta Thunberg? Yes. And what are some of the changes you would like to see? I'd like to see larger amounts of people striking. I'd like to see more actions taken on like cleaning up waste as well, in addition to striking. And you're going to be out every Friday for the foreseeable future? Every Friday that a strike is local for me. Thank you very much. I am Diana Wright. I am first and foremost the owner of Food Scraps 360, a residential and commercial food scraps pickup service. I am one of the co-founders of People of Albany United for Safe Energy, and I am a member of Zero Waste Capital District. The reason why I am here today is because we need to let everybody know how important it is that we get off of fossil fuels because it is destroying the planet as we know it and all of these extreme weather patterns that everybody is noticing yes do have to do with human consumption of fossil fuels and the solutions to these problems already exist we're just not putting the money into the infrastructure for sustainable energy we're still putting it into fossil fuels and drilling more and plastics and um big huge trucks with six miles per hour gas limitations is ridiculous um it's polluting the air um uh, let's see copenhagen is it copenhagen it's at the end of the month um is why we're trying to bring this to everybody's attention it's a worldwide month of action leading up to that so that the world knows that the world cares and um the world leaders know that the world cares and um I'm thinking what else? Uh, Food Scraps 360 is taking a lot of the methane out of the atmosphere by composting uh, 100 tons of food scraps already this year. So uh, that is adding to the solution. And we all need to figure out how to reduce our waste and reduce our consumption of uh, polluting things for this planet so that we can save the planet. Thank you, Diana Wright. Uh, hi, I'm Xanthi Plymal. I'm with Fridays for the Future and Zero Waste Capital District, and we're striking today in global solidarity with 350.org on the Global Power Up campaign. Um, and how long have you, Mark Dunley, been working on the Divest to New York uh, issue? Ten years. So part of the reason why we're here is because Comptroller DiNapoli has not decided to divest New York State funds from Exxon and other oil and gas companies, which is deeply disheartening and frustrating, especially considering that we have known about the climate crisis for longer than I have been alive. I'm 22 years old. Um, we're also here today because we would like to... 
Oh, that was Road Rage. <laughs> anyway, we're also here today because we would like to protect the All Electric Buildings Act, which did pass last session, but it is now facing uh, legal challenges. Uh, we want to see it enforced in full. We want to see it implemented in full. We also would like to see the Make Climate Polluters Pay Act passed, which would put billions into our green funding. You know, we'd also really, really love to see New York Heat uh, Act, the New York Heat Act passed because uh, rate increases have been really just terrible for, again, people like myself who aren't making a ton of money. And I would not like to keep funding National Greed and their gas pipelines. So um, I, I know you're one of the local supporters of Fridays for Future. W what is that trying to accomplish? Yeah, so me and my co-organizer, Ryan Sezik, um, we strike alternating. Uh, Schenectady is first and third Fridays, and I'm second and fourth. Uh, so next week I will be in, at Albany and East Capitol Park. Hope to see you there. We're hoping to bring attention to the sustained support for climate action. We are not going away, and neither is climate catastrophe, unless we do something. And if we want to get connected to Fridays for Future, easy way to do that? I uh, highly recommend you follow us on Instagram, which is FFF Capital District NY. Uh, and I've also created a Facebook page, so maybe that'll be easier for folks as well, which is under the same name. Thank you very much. This has been Mark Dunley for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. That was Mark Dunley's report on the Futures for Friday's climate strike for today's news bucket. Also, thanks to Mark Dunley for getting this story in so quickly. Uh, you can go to foodscraps350.org for more info. So Bradley Toole from Cornell Cooperative Extension shares information now about the Capital Region Clean Energy Hub with access to energy-related resources and programs available through NYSERTA. Hello, this is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. And like many listeners, I have been dreading the coming of the cold, but it's here and it's time to get your house ready for it. So I'm talking today with Bradley Toll, who's with an organization called Capital Region Clean Energy Hub. And he's got some great advice and suggestions and resources and information to share with you. Brad, welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Hello, thank you for having me back. Can you tell us what is this Capital Region Clean Energy Hub and why should we care? The Capital Region Clean Energy Hub uh, was formed late 2022. Uh, Cornell Corporate Extension, who I work for, is a partner along with Affordable Housing Partnership in Albany, um, TAP Inc. in Troy, um, Capital District Community Energy, Seed Center, and Radix. So we work in eight counties. We work in Columbia, Green, Albany, Schenectady, Rensselaer, Washington, Warren, and Saratoga, which is a big area with a lot of different concerns and different needs. We specifically try to connect people, you know, low to moderate income households to better choices for their energy needs, um, increasing energy efficiency. There's um, solar options, there's heat pump options. Um, we also have a workforce development committee that tries to connect people with better clean energy job options and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a big lift uh, and the, everybody that's involved is very talented and smart and, uh, and, and really cares about what we're doing. So that goes a long way. Um, so uh You've mentioned lots of different aspects of weatherizing and heat pumps and things. It's all going to get very complicated. 
Yes. And but before we get into the details, I want to have you mention that there are energy advisors to help people get through all the programs and details and stuff. Yeah. Yep. So we we have a team of energy advisors who we try to keep them somewhat regional to areas that they're familiar with, whether it's where they live or have experience with the area so that they uh, know the community that they're working with, too. And yeah, so there are several programs that are available. One in particular is called Empower Plus. Um, and Empower Plus is a NYSERDA program that... And that's New York State Energy and Research D Development Authority? You got it. Yes. Okay. So the Empower Plus program can, for low-income households, provide up to $10,000 for uh, home energy efficiency improvements. Um, generally, insulation is, is, is one of the big ones. Um, the HEAP offices just opened on November 1st. Um, a HEAP recipient, you know, with a HEAP award letter, that's, that's we kind of joke around, that's the golden ticket to getting Empower. Um, SNAP recipients. And HEAP is Home Energy Assistance Program. You help with paying your energy bills. Correct, yes. And every county has their own HEAP offices. Uh, yeah, so if somebody is a HEAP recipient uh, and they have a HEAP award letter or if they have uh, SNAP or TAMF, those generally are automatic approvals for Empower Plus. Um, if you don't have those and you still think you could qualify, um, we can go through income verification and stuff like that. Our energy advisors are there to help with all that kind of stuff. Um, it's I know it can be very complicated. It does help to have us here because we can communicate with the potential contractors that you might uh, have come into your home. We can help navigate what's going on with your application if something's not lining up. Um, we so we have we can be the liaison between you know NYSERDA and the contractors. So we we can be there from every step every step of the way through the project from the application to the finishing point. We can be there to help. And uh, your website, which is cleanenergycapitalregion.org, mm -hmm. has lots of information about energy efficiency, heating and cooling, solar. It's got a way to find resources by county. It's got updates on various incentives and stuff. Okay. Oh, and it's got a piece about what's up with gas stoves. <laughs> so yeah, if you've been concerned about losing your gas stoves or you're thinking of replacing your stove, that's a small piece of energy efficiency, uh, but it it and clean energy, but something to consider. So I want to go back. You were talking about installing solar panels and doing all sorts of um high cost activities and yet there's ways to get solar power even if you cannot afford or have a place to install solar panels right yeah that's community solar yep so there are there are a couple of ways you can do uh, get connected with a community solar project um you know community solar is great for you know as you mentioned if you don't have a good place say you you have a lot of trees around your house and you like the shade or you know or maybe you don't have a good roof for it or you're a tenant in an apartment or something like that you can connect with a community solar project there's a couple different ways you can do it one as we'd mentioned with empower plus before uh an empower plus client can also um, sign up for what's called um, solar for all which is nicerta's program nicerta basically allocates a certain amount of um, solar energy from different farms throughout the state for different uh, recipients of empower 
The other way somebody could do it is they could specifically sign up for a community solar project. And the community solar projects generally offer about a 10% reduction of your electric bill. If you have a utility bill that includes electric and gas, it's not going to reduce your, your natural gas costs. But generally, they guarantee a 10% reduction in your overall electric costs. And you don't see it. You know, it's somewhere in a farm, somewhere out where you might see it, it might be near you, but it doesn't have to be near you necessarily. And how do people find out about local community solar projects or which ones are allowing signups? What's the process yeah, for that? It can be a, it's a bit of a moving target, um, you know, because a, a farm can fill up or one can be in development and, can, you know, and they're taking people, you know, subscriptions. They call it a subscription. Um, it's free to subscribe and it's free to you know, unsubscribe if at some point you, you'd like to. So the best way to find out about it, I, I would suggest getting in touch with us. We are kind of good at dialing in what somebody's specific needs are and what the right choice might be or helping them make, lead them to the right choice, I guess is probably a better way of putting it. So if somebody is interested in community solar, we can probably really guide them on that process. And you mentioned something also, just want to get it in about workforce development. Yeah, I don't want to speak too much about that because I'm I'm not as involved with that part of it as, as um, a couple of our other members are. They, they, they're very active in it. Um, I like to kind of know what's going on with it, but I'm, I'm less active with it, but I know they're doing a lot of work to try to to try to figure out what what the best approach is to connecting people, connecting with younger audience, you know, maybe high school graduates that might be looking for direction into getting into the clean energy field. I don't want to misrepresent what they're doing because they're they're into the into the weeds with that a bit more than I am. So, yeah. Okay. But it is, it is a it is a component of what the the hub does. Yes. Yeah. And if you want to get into the weeds, listeners, that's the <laughs> Capital Region Clean Energy Hub. Their website has information about energy efficiency, low-cost things you can do on your own, what's involved in getting an energy audit, heating and cooling options, solar options, resources by county. Wonderful uh, website, lots of information at cleanenergycapitalregion.org. And again, I want to mention, especially if you're considering something big like changing your furnace or going to a heat pump, you definitely want to talk with one of their energy advisors because the options are varied, the process is varied, the possibilities for rebates and discounts are varied. So yeah. Brad, the best way to reach the Capital Region Clean Energy Hub or to reach an energy advisor? So you can go right to the website. Um, it should have contact information on right there. Um, I think we do try to have it uh, dialed in for by county. So you can reach out to the specific advisor that's um, designated to your county. And yeah, that's that's the best place to start. Uh, we can usually get you kind of signed up. We're out of time. Oh, okay. That was Brad Toll, T-O-W-L-E, from Cornell Cooperative Extension talking through about his position with Capital Region Clean Energy Hub. Uh, listeners, if you want to hear our earlier presentation in March, you can go to our website, mediasanctuary.org. Brad, great talking with you again. Looking forward to seeing you in the future. Yeah, thank you, Bria. We'll talk to you soon. And this is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, signing off.
Plus, the hub has energy advisors to help people work through options. For more details, see www.cleanenergycapitalregion.org. And that was produced by Bria Barthel. And for those of you just tuning in, I'm Andrea Conliffe. And I'm Lavender. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. On Election Watch, Elizabeth Press speaks to Tiffany Silverman about the importance of voting and why she's running on the Democratic and Working Families lines for the District 5 seat on the Troy City Council. Today on Election Watch, we are talking with Tiffany Silverman, who is running on the Democratic ticket for Troy City Council, District 5. Tiffany, thanks for joining us on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you for having me. I saw a little write-up about who's running for what, and you're described as uh, HR and DEI director. And I was wondering if you could fill in some gaps and tell us a little bit more about who is Tiffany Silverman. So I started out actually in uh, the legal field and thought that I would become an attorney and I got sidetracked by another attorney. And he said to me, you know, you're really good at employment law. Why don't you just think about HR? And I did. And I loved it. Um, I did start out in the district attorney's office. Before that, I worked with the great Lillian Moy at the Legal Aid Society of Northeastern New York. She is a fantastic mentor and really just allowed us to be who we were and learn and grow from our mistakes. You live on the east side of Troy. You have a family. Your husband is also running for elected office. It's an exciting time in our house right now. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it is uh, quite busy. Couldn't you tell us a little bit about your tenure in Troy and what makes you want to represent District 5 for Troy City Council? The representation and being present. My first phone call was to uh, Ken Zalewski, who is very popular on the east side, who is the east side, right? And we had a conversation. He was very candid with me and said, you know, I think you should do it. And I did. And I started out uh, with the Working Family Party and and gaining their endorsement. And then from there, you know, interviewed for the Democratic Party. And it's just been, you know, on fire since then. And first it was a petitioning. And it's just been something that um, I've been looking forward to. I used to attend the meetings when my husband was the corporation counsel under Lou Rosamilia. And he used to say to me, uh, are you really enjoying yourself? And I thought, this is the best way to connect and to really be informed. And so I did. I enjoyed going to the meetings and participating. This is your first time running for elected office. How are you letting constituents in District 5 know that you are running? And what are you hearing from them? How I'm getting my name out there is just going door to door, just utilizing every minute outside and just knocking on doors 
authors, you know, leaving my literature, going with other people who are present and who are well known on the East Side, um, you know, Carol Weaver, Ken Zalewski, um, they have all been very helpful, extremely knowledgeable. And what I've been hearing is that what unites us is a lot stronger than what divides us. Uh, we all want the same thing. Less fees, lower fees, no fees, you know, for anything um, that we're now paying for that we may, may pay for. You know, we want better roads. We want cleaner streets. Uh, we want our kids to be safe. We want to be safe, right? So that's what I've been hearing. Those have been my takeaways. There's a campaign photo of you. There's a planter and you're like standing behind it. Um, how important are green spaces and public spaces? That's a project that I became involved with, with uh, initially Kathleen. I just started doing it and the people appreciated it and I like it. So much. Um, I mean, there's nothing more relaxing than gardening, right? So, and to know that other people are, are noticing it and liking it and coming out and saying, hey, you know, we really appreciate you doing that. I'm actually looking forward to hopefully, you know, being a part of the uh, Parks and Recreation Committee. As we, you know, talk about Troy and sort of like the the changing of Troy, Troy has been redistricted some and District 5 is quite, quite large. As an overview, what are some of the neighborhoods that you have visited as you've been canvassing? Are the needs and wants of residents of Troy the same from neighborhood to neighborhood? Or are you hearing uh, different things? Uh, it seems to be the same uh, neighborhood to neighborhood. You know, we're all concerned with uh, safety, you know, the roadways, the garbage, uh, cleanup, that kind of thing. Uh, people really care about their homes and it shows. And they just want to make sure that that's appreciated and that people notice that. I certainly do. And, you know, people want to make sure that there are safe places for, you know, our kids to play. You know, um, for us, it's Kinlock Park, which is about two blocks from where we live. And people have really enjoyed the park and like going to the park. And I think we're all as a neighborhood looking forward to the park being completed soon. It can be utilized now, but uh, completely finished. I think they're thinking like November, December, like that. I haven't been to that park in a long time, but it was one of the few places that you could bring your dog and let your dog run around. I think they're adding that to Beeman Park as well. Yes. But will it still have the dog yeah. park when it's finished? It it will. It will. And there's actually a split. There is um, a walkway. And, you know, one side is dedicated to, you know, the swing sets and the play areas. And then another um, area is going to be dedicated to um, all the pup lovers. There's also some bigger picture issues in Troy, like City Hall is really understaffed right now. Um, people are working on, you know, the lead issue. There's the threat of closing the Burdett Birth Center. I have seen you out there related to the efforts to save Burdett Birth Center. And I was wondering if you wanted to say anything more about this resource in our town that might close, but the closing was just delayed. So some of the advocacy efforts have have worked so far. So uh, why is it important uh, for you to keep Burdett Birth Center open? I'm so concerned with the closure because this is just one one more thing. 
you know, one more step. So what else is going to happen? What else is going to close? What else is going to be taken away? And it's very concerning to me. It's very concerning to moms. What, what is that going to do to Albany Medical Center? I have a very close friend who is the head of nursing there, and she is frightened. And so she goes to the meetings, and we sit together sometimes. And, you know, she's, she's very concerned with what this is going to do to their staff. I think it's very important for us all to go to the meetings and to really speak up and be vocal, um, not just with the, the Burdett Center, but let's segue into the election. It's very important. It's crucial for all of us to get out, voice our opinions, be heard. We have to be heard. And don't be afraid. Why should our audience who's uh, in District 5 vote for Tiffany Silverman for Choice City Council District 5 representation? It's important that we have a strong leader. It's important as a parent, as a mom, as a citizen, as a taxpayer, to make sure that when those meetings are being held and the discussions are being had, that there's a voice there. and. That voice is bringing it back to the district and letting everyone know, good, bad, or indifferent, this is what's going on. What are we going to do about it? What am I going to do about this? What changes need to be made? It's crucial that we have those conversations, that we're transparent. Uh, we worked hard. We work hard. We get out there. We do a lot of things behind the scenes because this election is so important to all of us. Uh, we have, you know, the, the mayor's race, the president of the council and all of the six council seats that are up right now. And it is so important that we get out and vote. And that's why we've been out so hard and so much. Um, you know, we're going to be going out again tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday, all day, Sunday, all day, Monday. We're just going to be out there just trying to get people, you know, to get out and vote because this is such an important time for all of us in the city. Every district is is diverse in the city with, you know, people from different economic classes, different races, different religions. You are one of the few people of color running in this election. Is that important in terms of the diversity of our city council and representation of the constituents in Troy? Because it is just that, right? It's people need to know that they're being pro properly represented. And that's why it was so important for me to run in this race, to get out there and really be diligent and to go door to door and meet everyone, because I want to make sure that you know me, you know, get to know the person before you make a decision. Don't make decisions out of fear. Tiffany Silverman, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to make sure our audience knows? Don't get bullied into voting for someone you don't really want to vote for. Don't be afraid to get out and vote. It's important. It's, it's very important because this is where it all starts. It all starts at the local level. Tiffany Silverman, Democratic and Working Family Party candidate for Troy City Council District 5. Thanks for joining us on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Again, that was EP with Troy City Council candidate Tiffany Silverman about running on the Democratic Democrat and Working Families lines for District 5. Next Tuesday is Election Day. That is November 7th, I believe. Uh, is it? <laughs> it's the 7th. Okay. I just want to make sure I get the date right. <laughs>
since this will replay. Um, and early voting has already begun. Let your voice be heard and vote. Every vote counts. Well, now we continue with a historic tour of the Herman Melville House, home of the author of Moby Dick. John Ward of the Lansingburg Historical Society tells the stories of some very powerful women of Lansingburg in early industrial America. We continue on this historic tour of the Herman Manville House, home of the author of Moby Dick, with John Ward of the Lansingburg Historical Society to uncover the stories and the power of the women in early industrial America. So we've come up these stairs, this windy staircase, and this is, oh my gosh, another windy staircase, two floors. This is really how it really works. Actually, <gasps> this room is amazing. It's an attic, but it's amazing. You have everything here. So this is where all the historical stuff is. Let me see if I got. Uh, all right. I don't have the fan. Oh, there's a casket. That's it's not a dem- his. Demonst- it's a demonstration casket. We had that there because. He's not in there. Now, the funeral parlor that it came from is still in business. It's over 140 years old. Really? And they're still in business, yeah. Oh, where are they? They, well, uh, this picture is taken on 2nd Avenue. That was like where all the shops were. We're on 1st Avenue here. So where is it now? 3rd Avenue by uh, 110th Street. Okay. It's McLaughlin and Mason funeral home. Funny. Yeah. Look at this. There's lots of treasures up here. We have River Street because... It's River Street. That's that's <laughs> the River Street. We tell people, be very careful when you're doing genealogy in, in Troy because Troy incorporated Lansingburg in 1900. All right. So before that... So this that, is Lansingburg, really? Yeah. So before that, that was 14th Street. Okay. Now it's 114th Street. Oh, God. Because there already was a a 14th Street in Troy. So they couldn't have two. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And you've got advertisements and signs. Well, the two biggest industries in Lansingburg? Yes. Brush making. Brush making? By the 1860s, 75% of all brushes made in the United States were made in Lansingburg. Not Troy, just Lansingburg. They wiped out the the, uh, the bristle population, and they were importing bristles from Germany and, Ch- and China. What do you, what is a bristle? The bristle is the brush. I know, but what is, is it? It's from a vegetable. A, no, it's from a boar, a oh, pig. Really? Yeah, and we weren't we were slaughtered because the population was expanding. We were. Uh, you don't get good boar bristles until the boar's about three years old. And they're yummier before three. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. interesting. So, yeah. I, you know, I never knew that's yeah. where bristle came from. Yeah, well, I never knew that they, they were, this was a big brush-making industry. The second biggest industry was oilcloth. And everyone thinks of oilcloth as something you put on a picnic table. No, this was more like linoleum. Easier to clean. A lot of the, a lot of the, the houses just had dirt floors or wood floors, and it was harder to clean. Linoleum made it much easier. The interesting thing with that is, is that this 
particular oil cloth manufacturer, the D. Powers and Son. It was a husband and wife. They were making lacquer one day, and there was an explosion and a fire. Mr. Powers died. Oh. Mrs. Powers got burned, and after a year of convalescence, she was able to take over the factory. She would get on the sailing sloops, take the finished goods down the river, and they would uh, sell their goods. She came back, ran the business. When the Lansingburg Bank was about to go under, she stepped in, saved the Lansingburg Bank. If you go down to uh, 111th Street and 4th Avenue, you'll see Powers Elementary School. And that's her. That's her. You'll also see, if you go up to 117th Street and 3rd Avenue, there's a funny-looking garage up there. It's because it was originally a church of three stories. When the congregation folded, it became uh, Powers Opera House. And then there was a fire, and they leveled the, the second and third floor off. She had bad luck with fire. <laughs> Guess she what, did, yeah. what, what oil? What, what oil? Was it whale oil? No, no. Yeah, it, would be, it would be like linseed or... or uh, and there was a... a it's a, a very violent. And it's, then she would weave or she would have the cloth? They would, they would paint it on, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then they'd say, would they do designs and things? Well, they would have... They could imprint designs, you see? Oh, yeah, like yeah. a stencil. Yeah, yeah. Um, at 110th Street and between 100... 100 11th and 110th between 3rd Avenue and 2nd Avenue, Powers Park. She donated that. If you go up to 123rd Street and 3rd Avenue, you'll see a a big, huge, uh, white, T-shaped apartment building. Um, That was Powers Home for Widows. What a remarkable woman. What was her name besides Powers? Her name was Deborah. Powers. That's why you never see anything other than D. Powers and Sons. She yeah. didn't want people to know the business was run by a, a woman because she thought she wouldn't be taken seriously. Now, her house is between 110th and 111th on 2nd Avenue, right across the street from Powers Park. Very simple, rambling uh, farmhouse. And... Uh, it was up for sale probably about five or six years ago. We got permission to go through it, and we, in fact, we used it as a house tour uh, one year when we ran a house tour. And uh, it was like a Quaker was living there. Everything plain and simple. She hmm. was a remarkable woman. Well, she lived to be 100. A remarkable woman these days, but extraordinary in those days. Well, there was a lot of powerful women in up Troy. Mrs. Russell Sage. Well, there you go. She got back at him. Very <laughs> good. Very. Are he you? didn't believe in. He didn't. Uh, Mr. Sage did not believe. He was probably the second richest man in America. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of shady deals, stock manipulations. Uh, he and uh, Jay Gould, you know, the, the robber barons that were manipulating uh, purchasing of trains. Yeah. So there was a lot of hanky business. Yeah, he he did not believe that women should be educated. He didn't think much of women, except for the ones he got pregnant, who were the maids uh, in his in his house, and they would suddenly disappear. Um, if you go up to Oakwood Cemetery and look at a sage's uh, gravesite, 
you won't be able to find it. His name is not on it. And next to that is a bench, slightly tilted, with the face of Medusa and the snakes in the middle of the bench. His first wife is buried in back. Uh, Mrs. Sage is buried in Oakwood Cemetery, but in Syracuse. Her stone, plain and simple. Plain and simple, mm. yeah. Let's see, 29 is it or 59? I, I've lost the number now. I think it's 29. Different halls and colleges across the United States are named Russell Sage Hall. Even though he was such a dastardly man? Yes, yes. And dastardly is a very nice way of saying it. Yeah. Saying I was careful, way. yeah. <laughs> Got to have you guess, where is that? Well, that's not Saratoga Springs You're race right. course. It's not. It's not. It's Rensselaer Park. 1857 to about uh, a little after the First World War. 42 acres, harness racing, chariot racing, thoroughbred racing, airplanes landing and taking off, balloon ascensions, an amusement park. Where is it? Where is it? between 111th and 107th Street from 5th Avenue all the way up to what used to be the railroad tracks. It's now a bike path. It's no longer there. It was torn down, and now there's Rensselaer Park School, and that's why they call it Rensselaer Park School. Amazing. If you go up to Oakwood, okay, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you do the outer loop. Yes, yes. There's a place there you can pull off the car. Yeah, yeah. And there's stanchions that tell you what you're looking at. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you look down, yes. you, you will see where the high school kids of yes. today race around that track. And that was it? That's very similar to where that was. Oh, that, oh that's fascinating. Also, too, when you're up there, take a walk over to where the uh, crematorium is, between the chapel and the bell tower. Yes. There's a, there's a little breezeway. You can see the uh, Cohoes Falls from there. Um, Center Are you a historian? No, no. I just, I, I love history. I'm a reader. I, I, you give me a matchbook and I'll start reading that. Um, <laughs> well, usually I'm up here and, and then so, I... But he wrote up here? No, he didn't no, write here. No. That was one flight down. One flight down and that was what their, where their den was. And, and, you know, they were all fairly well educated. He was classically yeah, yeah. Educa- educated well, yeah. in Albany Academy for, for boys. Um, Same Albany yeah. Academy that's there today. Yes. Yeah. Wow! What a history. Okay, I'm gonna. Go I'm coming down, down this. Uh, this room here is the same as it is upstairs. And that's where he rode him. Where they went, right? Yeah. It, did it yeah. have a bay window at the time? No, 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 just a just a regular window out. This was all added. This on. was a, yeah. eight by ten, maybe six by eight. Yeah, pretty I small. The tiny. Well, at least you can focus on what he was reading and yeah. writing. This has been Andrea Cunliffe with John Ward at the Herman Manville House in Lansingburg, New York. The Herman Manville House is on 1st Avenue and 114th Street in Lansingburg, North Troy, New York. To find out more about it, you can visit LansingburgHistoricalSociety.org. And David Moore... David Moore and Kaylin McPherson sat down with Sean Collins, the president of the Troy Area Labor Council and member of the Troy DSA. David and Kaylin talked with Sean about the history of local unions and the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. 
We have with us in the studio, Sean Collins. Sean has been active in the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. He is also president treasurer of the Troy Area Labor Council, AFL-CAO, and organizer for SEIU Local 200 United. Sean will share his extensive experience with these associations and identify current initiatives. Welcome to the studio, Sean. Thank you for having me. Sean, how did you move in this direction in your journey of life? <laughs> uh, my uh, father uh, was, uh, was a Marine and my, my mom was, you know, come from like a working class family. My mom was a, was a union flight attendant. We moved around a lot. And um, just sort of from that experience, growing up in like military towns and uh, sort of, uh, you know, encountering the, you know, folks in, in, those, in those communities and then coming to school, coming to college here in, in upstate New York, moving back to upstate New York and going to school at UAlbany and meeting a lot of faculty and graduate student instructors and other students. I just sort of over time got more involved in organizations along these lines. The <clears throat> members have confidence in you and electing you to the, to these offices. What what does those op what does the responsibilities of those offices entail for you? So, as as president of the Troy Labor Council, um, I you know I primarily you know sort of serve as like a facilitator and uh, uh, you know uh, sort of you know spearhead you know to, uh, different you know our different efforts and make sure that we're just moving. The, you know, on our various cold posts month to month on whatever the various items that we're working on. And then also just trying to wrangle our delegates and our community allies and partners to show up to various, you know, actions, rallies, pickets, whatever's going on in, in you know, in regards to the labor movement locally. So for those who don't know about the, the uh, Democratic Socialists of America, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So the the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, you know, uh, it uh, had it saw a resurgence in in you know 2015, 2016 with uh, you know the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, or, you know, campaign to, to become the Democratic nominee in the primary, that was ultimately unsuccessful. But uh, there was this massive you know influx of members into the organization, and um, locally that ha that transpired as well, and so. We formed a, a chapter, one of, gosh, I don't even know how many chapters there are across the country, but one of one of many chapters, and uh, and we've been organizing uh, around sort of left socialist principles in the capital district, and in particular in Troy since then. Do you have particular campaigns that are your emphasis now? Sure, uh, you know, I th so I think the the big thing that we've been focusing on recently, I, I think, uh, you know, as uh, as DSA has grown and uh, the, nationally, and uh, as uh, as you know, as its members have, you know, with this membership influx, more folks have gotten involved with various, you know, backgrounds and experiences. One of the things that you know has seen a, a big shot in the arm has been a, a lot of the work that folks have been doing around housing. I can't speak to it ex too much. I'm not I'm not super uh, clued in on it myself, but I know that like uh, folks have really gotten involved in that in that work. And there's a lot of stuff happening at the state level around like right to counsel, um, you know, good cause eviction. Uh, and, 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 you know, just other tenant protections and rent control, these sorts of things. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of the backstory of, to the organizing of the local DSA chapter? 
Yeah, so actually the Troy DSA used to be a part of like the broader like Capital District uh, DSA chapter, which you know does exist here locally. Um, but we formed our, our we mm. you know formed our own chapter. Mm. Gosh, maybe around like 2018, 2019, to sort of zero in on particular the, the particular issues that DSA works on nationally and across the region here in Troy and Rensselaer County, because you know oftentimes I think in the Capital District things always sort of always just go back to Albany and specifically back to like the capital um, and uh, things that happen at the municipal level in all the various communities across the across the capital district sort of get lost in that in that in that shuffle. Now the Troy Area Labor Council represents how many members in Rensselaer County or Troy? So so that's a good question. It's, it's actually like a clarification I have to make a lot. Troy Labor Council doesn't have any members. We have affiliated unions. So there are about 40 or so uh, affiliated unions um, who t all told represent uh, about 13,000 uh, people in Troy and Rensselaer County. Um, and, and so I, I'm a delegate for one of those affiliated unions, SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, Local 200 United. I don't even remember how many members we represent here in Rensselaer County, but we represent about 15,000 across upstate New York. Is your membership increasing? Uh, so, yes, yes, it, generally. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a struggle over the, over the years with so many assaults on organizing. Uh, what, what, are the, what are the issues that, that uh, the affiliates are bringing to the table? Yeah, I mean, you know, oftentimes it's issues that affect their membership, right? Um, that are, you know, that are, you know, impacting their members directly. Like, uh, I don't, you know, they're, they're, they themselves aren't an affiliate of, of our of our labor council, but like the Troy firefighters have been dealing with, you know, understaffing uh, for years, uh, despite the fact that the number of housing units in the city of Troy has increased with the new apartment buildings and so on. Uh, their staffing has remained flat. But they've seen like a massive influx in the number of calls. Like it just it's just like a skyrocketing in the number of calls. Um, but they don't have the staff and the and the personnel to to really respond to those. So the number of fires we've seen as a result, they usually have to call for uh, support from other local fire departments. Um, so that's you know so we you know we've tried to support those folks. Um, you know other examples would be like uh, you know RPI uh, resident assistance. Uh, these are undergraduate workers. Uh, they just organized. Uh, they just, you know, organized and announced their intent to unionize uh, last week. So our delegates went out to show support for their rally, demanding recognition of their union from the the, the new president, Martin Schmidt, there, uh, and um, you know, and stuff along those lines. Sort of supporting Starbucks workers, supporting Amazon workers. Throughout uh, the history of the AFL-CIO, there's been a tension between supporting the needs and workers of their trade versus labor reform. Mm. What, what's been the emphasis that you've seen and, and what percentage of time is given to you, one or other, or both? When you, when you mean labor reform, like union, efforts like around like union democracy? These yeah. Words, yeah. yeah. I, I think we, we, as the AFL, it's, you know, it's not our place to intervene in like, you know, the local union, uh, you know, activities. I think you know our members are generally sympathetic and uh, uh, to uh, to those efforts to democratize their unions and make sure that they are uh, run uh, and and focus on the issues affecting their rank and file. Um, but we try to stick to the, the the issues affecting you know the the, the members themselves on the whole uh, and uh, and the fights that they're they're waging with their boss, their manager, what have you. Are there any 
uh, efforts at cooperative worker community <coughs> communities or or projects? Not that I'm aware of really locally. I'm sure there are, but that doesn't mean I'm not I'm aware. <laughs> unfortunately, it'd be nice to see more of it. That's for sure. <laughs> With one minute left, um, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell our listeners or any questions? I mean, the one thing I would say, you know, of note and, and I think of in particular of importance is actually their RPI residence assistance and their organizing efforts. Um, these are undergraduate workers. These are, these are 18, 19 year olds um, who are trying to organize. And, um, and in a union, it would be the first organized group of workers on campus if they were to be successful. And you know, I've lived in the shadow of RPI for a long time. It's a completely non-union campus that um, uh, provide should provide, you know, good, you know, decent jobs to uh, uh, residents here in Troy. But unfortunately, it's non-union, and it's, and, uh, and, uh, and instead, it acts as this like sort of parasite on the city of Troy. And I think it's exciting that these these undergraduate workers are are standing up to that, and hopefully, are just establishing the the, the first toehold there. Sean, we thank you so much for the insights you've brought and the opportunities for us to explore these other areas and to it, support it, your work. If people want to get involved or find more information, where can they find more information? TroyLaborCouncil.org, um, and we're on Twitter and other social media, which I don't know offhand, but you could find it on our website. <laughs> thank you, Sean Collins, for talking with us today. And for more local history with... David Moore and Kaylin McPherson. It's on our website under mediasanctuary.com. And look into your own local union. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Lavender. And just quickcorrections.org. You said mediasanctuary.com. It's .org. Oh, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Our engineer is Captain Kaylin McPherson. We thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Segment producers are Mark Dunley, Bria Barthel, Elizabeth E.P. Press, David Moore, and your co-hosts, Andrea Cunliffe and Lavender. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. And we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and Facebook, Hudson Mohawk Magazine, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. So tune in and weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear the local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs>